Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Nicholas Saka. Nicholas is a chief petty officer in the United States Coast Guard as well as a command duty officer at the Pacific Area District 11 Command Center. And he has seven apps in the App Store. Welcome to the show, Nicholas. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. How's it going? It's going great. It's uh, 75 degrees and sunny here in Alameda, so it's perfect weather. Yeah, I haven't been outside today, so um, but I I assume it's sunny because we're, you know, we're both in sunny Southern California, as my political science professor used to say. (laughs) (laughs) So what are you doing in Alameda? Well, I've been here for just over a year now uh, with the Coast Guard. They uh, moved me out here from Cleveland uh, last year, and uh, I'm currently a uh, command duty officer at the Pacific Area District 11 Command Center. And I know that's a mouthful. What does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean exactly? What is well, actually what is the Coast Guard? You guard the, so coast, the coast Guard, but like what is, is the, the Coast Guard? Is the uh, fifth branch of the U.S. military, and uh, we're not really widely publicized. But if you go out in your boat and you're having trouble or something like that, chances are you're going to deal with us. Okay. Uh, the the Pacific Area Command Center, they deal or we deal with with uh, cases and situations that could go anywhere from the west coast of the United States all the way off the coast of Japan. So wow. our, our reach is very, very, uh, very long. Wow. So are you spending a lot of time on land or off land? Well, my job, <clears throat> I'm an operations specialist. I'm a chief operations specialist. So what that means is is that I'm essentially a 911 operator for the Coast Guard. So if you go out on a boat and you're in trouble, more likely you're going to talk to me or somebody like me who's working in a command center, and we're going to dispatch the appropriate resources to assist you. Okay, so let's say I'm on a boat, at, you know, because I'm always just on a boat, you know, that's how <laughs> I am, and I'm having some trouble... How do I, do I just call 911 or how does that work? Well, actually, you could do one of two things. You could pick up your radio and tune it to channel 16 and say the magic word, mayday, mayday, mayday. Or you can just ask for the Coast Guard's assistance. Or you can actually download the Coast Guard app, which is on the App Store. And uh, that app will actually ping your GPS and redirect you to the appropriate sector as they call it and you'll be in touch with the sector command center and uh, they'll be able to help you and so even uh, render if I, assistance even if i don't have um, wi-fi or cell signal i'll be able to ping that with the gps with that app well the gps as long as will, i have gps as long as you have gps and a cell signal so it's oh, only going to work it's only going to work off coast the further you get off coast you're going to want something that's like a a VHF or an HF radio, a uh, an EPIRB, which is essentially just a, a beacon that's about the size of a cell phone, and it has an antenna on it, and it actually hits a satellite, 
and then shoots that signal back down to us and we're able to assist you based on the information that you filled out in your registration. Wow. Wow. Yeah, wow. Wow. It's, okay. It's so pretty amazing. So all boats for the most part probably have a radio like built in or something. Yes. They're required, uh, depending on the size and the category of your boat, you may be required to actually have a VHF radio. Okay. Wow. Wow. I didn't know any of this. Okay. So, so you are there, as you said, like a, um, like an operator almost, uh, or like an operator, you are an operator, um, like in the traditional sense, like routing calls, it sounds like, um, like emergency response. So, so there's people that work on land, obviously, as the Coast Guard, administrative and support and all this kind of stuff. But yes. then there's just always people um, like on boats, like guarding the coast out there in the ocean. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting, you know, whenever I joined because I joined back in 2001 and the most interesting part to me was the fact that they were allowing like 24 and 25 year old people to take like these multi-million dollar boats out. Wow. And um, yeah, the only thing you have to do is, you know, look up the Coast Guard online, go through the recruiting process. And we have these small units, they're called stations, and the stations report to the sectors, the sectors report to the district, and the district reports to the area. That's how the whole chain of command works. And uh, the stations, they have their own command structure, and if they need to take a boat out for training or whatnot, they sign it out, and then away they go. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, and is it is it can it be a dangerous job like for the people out there on the boats? Like pirates yes. and stuff or Yes. Well, <clears throat> not necessarily pirates on the West Coast, but um you're looking at more environmental factors. Everything okay. everything comes into play. You know, how big are the seas? What's the risk versus reward? Um you know, so kind of like, like the weather, weather and the and the water. Exactly. Like potentially could could disrupt the, the boat, like capsize the boat or something like that. Exactly. And, you know, the, the funny thing about that is we actually have boats. Uh, there are a motor lifeboat class, and they're actually designed to, to roll over. So if oh, you wow. get, yeah, so if you get hit in a rough sea or whatnot, the boat will actually roll over and it, it will rewrite itself. So uh, if we need to get out there and save somebody, we can. Okay, well, welcome to the boating podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Um, <laughs> no, you are listening to Swift Coders, but it just happens to be that our guest today, Nicholas, is uh, in the Coast Guard, and it's just so interesting. Uh, when um, let's talk about actually, I, I want to learn more about you, but let's talk about how we met because I think it's really interesting. So, um, you know, I tell people to hit me up, and I'm not sure if that's why um, Nicholas contacted me, but I think I got an email from Nicholas just saying, "Hey, you know, like really like your podcast, da da da." Um, talk about that. Like what? So how how did you end up emailing me? Well, I, I I was on vacation and I'm looking and looking through the podcast app and I'm like, oh, I wonder what would happen if I typed in Swift, and uh, your podcast came up, and so at that point uh, I went ahead and started listening to it and I was like, wow, this is great. I mean, you know, it it provides a it provided me with a background. Uh, knowledge of what other people are thinking, what other people are going through as they 
as they started out or as they are going through their journey. So that's what really drew, drew attention to it. And then at that point, I said, I said to myself, you know, I, I kind of got an interesting story. You know, I've been in for 15 years in the Coast Guard and I've taken this on as a side hobby. And, uh, you know, maybe he might want to sit down and talk with me. I had no intention of you uh, replying to my email and then you did. And I was like, wow, that's cool. So that's kind of how we hooked up. Yeah, exactly. And from my perspective, it's cool to me, like to see people emailing me. It, it makes me feel like, oh, OK, well, people are actually listening and um, making a positive effect, uh, you know, influence or whatever in people's lives. You know, and I share them with my fiance, Lucy. I'm like, look at this person. They just emailed me. She's like, wow, you know, so, you know, it's real, folks. If um, if you want to feel like talking, if you feel like being a guest, like actually more and more I'm realizing like these stories are actually the more powerful ones. Um, I definitely want to interview very advanced, successful or famous, like, you know, the Swift rock stars. And I've had like a couple on the podcast, but actually it's the the just, you know, normal Joes like me and you like those stories people are really interested in it because that's where the power comes from like that's how I got to where I am when I created my meetup and I met other people that were just like me I realized wow like I'm not alone I could do this too and so um I think like I'm definitely going to try to have more just like not super advanced like successful or famous like people um not to say anything against you Nicholas but um <laughs> I mean I think it's an interesting story like you're not an you're not an iOS developer first, like you're in the Coast Guard, but you do iOS development on the side. And from what you were telling me, I believe you, you said that you were hoping to make iOS development a full-time thing later on in your life? Yeah, once I, uh, I plan on doing um, my full 20 years in the Coast Guard. And then once I retire, once I'm retirement eligible, I'm gonna go ahead and make this definitely a part-time gig, but hopefully a full-time gig. I would love to work from home and I would love to to build and design apps. I think there's something to be said about you taking a thought and, and making something, uh, you know, making something out of it, making it something material out of it. And I, I, I really gravitate towards that. Yeah, something out of nothing, uh, someone might, we, we might say. But so the point really is like, I think your story um, is it's similar to a lot of other people out there. Maybe they're not in the Coast Guard, but they're doing something and then they're seeing iOS development, they're doing it maybe as a side thing and they're, they're, they like it, but they might not be at the point where you are, where you're actually, you're, you're giving yourself the opportunity. You're saying it's a possibility that I might do this. Some people actually aren't even there yet. They don't think it's for them or at least they just assume. Like that's how I was when I started doing this. I never thought I was going to be a developer. It was more just like, oh, I'm just like, I like it. Because for some reason I had it in my head that I was not the developer type or it was like too, too, I had to be smarter or something like that. And I mean, actually, I talked to a lot of people that are like that. And so that's actually one of the things I, I wanted to kind of dispel with these type, with these conversations and is just to like say, hey, you know, you can possibly do it too. So oh, I mean, yeah. I, I'm living proof. If uh, if I can do it, uh, anybody can do it. So let's learn about your story and, and how that came to be that you are um, doing this as a hobby and, and now actually interested in making it full time. So you're in the Coast Guard. You've been in the Coast Guard for 15 years. Um, how did that how did, how did you end up uh, going to the Coast Guard? So most everyone I've interviewed so far, it's like 
somewhat similar story like they're they're you know they went to school maybe for for programming maybe not but then like they just ended up becoming an iOS developer for the most part almost everybody I've interviewed except me one person is actually an iOS developer full time I think um so I think this is really interesting your story so like how how did you end up in the coast guard and then how does that lead to to iOS development so <clears throat> I, uh, I joined the Coast Guard back in July of 2001, so before 9-11. It was something that I always wanted to do because I kind of, uh, I, I, was, uh, I was very much interested in like the humanitarian aspect of the job, you know, like uh, pulling people from the sea, saving their lives, stuff like that. And, and you, then, can like tra- you can travel a lot too, right, with the Coast Guard? I feel like that's what I've heard, like. Oh, yeah. See the world or something. One of those commercials for the Coast Guard was like, see the world or something like that. Or maybe that was the Navy. I don't remember. Well, well, you know what? You know what's interesting about that is is that you can and um, but it's more it's more regionalized. It's, you know, the Great Lakes, the East Coast, the West Coast, Alaska, Puerto Rico, those places, Hawaii, Guam, you know, you could you could go be stationed in any one of those areas. And um, and that's what makes it that's what makes it so appealing to me because I've lived in uh, Cape Cod, Cleveland, Seattle, Astoria, Oregon, and uh, I've just been bouncing back and forth between the West Coast and the East Coast. And uh, it makes you a more rounded person to see a lot of that stuff and to see how, because uh, we're such of a big country, to see the different different people from different areas. And, and I'm really thankful for that, to be honest with you. So what were you doing before you joined the Coast Guard? You know, I was just, I had a, uh, I just had a job as a stock boy at a local grocery store. And, uh, and I was, uh, you know, doing little jobs like that. And my, uh, I ran into a neighbor of mine who said her nephew joined the Coast Guard and I looked it up and, and I was like, wow, 30 days paid vacation a year. This is awesome. And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) so I said, I said, you know, if I did it for four years and I didn't like it, I could get out. But I ended up liking it a lot and uh, decided to make it a career. And uh, I actually found my way into uh, information management whenever I was out in Cleveland. And that's kind of how I started getting into uh, getting into Swift. Okay, so information management, that sounds like sort of like database administrator or something? Yeah, see, the Coast Guard does a really, really good job of the big stuff, uh, the policies, the procedures, how to use a boat, when to use a boat, um, stuff like that, uh, what you're going to need in order to fulfill, you know, complete this mission. But a lot of times, whenever you go from like a command center to another command center, they have certain ways of doing things. And I wanted to try to unify those those ways of doing things. And I did that through using uh, a Microsoft program called SharePoint. Okay. And that's a, uh, that's a program that's used throughout the Coast Guard. We use it. And so my boss one day came to me and said, he comes into the command center and he, he looks at me. He's like, hey, I got to talk to you. Hmm. And I'm like, and you know, the first thing that comes to your head is what did I do wrong? That's yeah, usually yeah. that's usually what happens whenever they say, "Hey, I got to talk to you." And he looks at me and he says, "Nick, you have carp launch. I need some sort of status board. I need some sort of information management. 
we're missing a lot of stuff. I need something to, to unify us and unify the sectors. And I was at the District 9 office out of Cleveland. And I said, okay, well, give me some time. So I went out and I bought all these books on Access and Excel. And to come to find out that we had something that was right below, right underneath our nose that was free for us to use. And it was, uh, it was SharePoint that was, uh, that was piggybacked off of this thing that we call CG Portal. So CG Portal runs on SharePoint. And uh, I started building an infrastructure. I started building a way for the stations to report their ice readiness and all this stuff. And finally, we sat down with the chain of command, and they're like, this is awesome. And they, they pushed it out to the fleet. And in District 9, they made it a, a full, um, they made it mandatory for use. And we are doing the same thing in District 11. We're making those inroads. And uh, anything I can do to spread the word on how, how information management relates to even iOS coding is, uh, you know, is impactful. I, I think it does the same thing, you know? What do you, uh, let's get into that uh, maybe a little later, but what do you mean then by that? Like how, how does it relate to iOS? Well, whenever you start looking at code and you start setting things up and you start making your storyboards and whatnot, I look at it as how you're going to display the information, how the information's gonna be captured and how that information could be delivered to a recipient if it needs to be. And I always, I live my life by the principle of efficiency first. It's got to be easy on the user and it, it can't be cumbersome. And, uh, and that's why I got, um, and, and that's, and that's sort of like my principle for iOS development, easy, efficient, and non-cumbersome. And so through building this uh, SharePoint sort of information management system, you kind of learned, learned these principles or realized them, and, and, and now you're able to apply them into your iOS development. Yes, that's exactly what I did. Because, uh, you know, I sat down and I was thinking about it, and I was thinking, you know. Hello. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> that's okay. I, uh, I swear I had it uh, on uh, Do Not Disturb. So anyhow, um, I was, uh, I was uh, thinking about uh, spreadsheets and all that other stuff and, uh, and how that information can be applied to, to apps in a practical use. And, and I, I kind of love data management. I love how you know, I can look back on a run that I had that took place you know, three years ago using RunKeeper and see how that compares to me running now. And, um, and that's sort of, sort of my angle into Swift. I want to make things efficient but simplified, and I want to use the, uh, what I've learned from database management with the Coast Guard in order to uh, hopefully build future apps. And one of the apps we can talk about later on is the, the app that I developed for the, uh, the Amazon Echo. Cool. Yeah, I'd love to get into that. Okay, so but backing up a little bit, what uh, what time frame was this when you were building the um, the solution in Cleveland for District Nine? It was uh, roughly late, early two thousand fourteen, 
all the oh, way okay. up to uh, the end of 2015, and then I came out here uh, in the summer of 2015. Okay, and, cool. So uh, fairly recently then. That's good. All right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, fairly recently. So when you say you were building it with SharePoint, like is that more of like an Excel type of a point-and-click kind of thing, or were you doing coding at that time, or how did you build there, this? There was <clears> – so <laughs> – I was talking to one of my uh, one of my counterparts who actually did this out in the civilian world, and he told me he's like he's like you know they they bought us a Ferrari, but they forgot to give us an owner's manual for it. So you're kind of on your own as far as customization. And I was like, oh okay, I, I can work with that. So I started going online, especially using like Stack Overflow and stuff like that. And they were like, okay, well, if you want to change the background color in a table, this is the JavaScript that you need. So we were able to use, I was able to use JavaScript in order to augment what was already there and to make it do the things that we wanted it to do. Okay, so up until that point, had you had any programming experience? No, that was the, that was the big thing because... You know how things work. Your boss comes in and says, hey, you know what? I really need that box to be gray. <laughs> and then you're like, I, I don't know if I can do that. And so then you you know, you know, do your research and whatnot, and you're like, oh, here's a little piece of code. Perfect. And then you uh, insert that, and the box turns gray. And that's what was so beautiful about it was the fact that even SharePoint by itself is an efficient product once you get the baseline knowledge down you're able to you're able to do whatever you want with it. So SharePoint is it a web-based uh, platform or it, it is a web-based. I kind of look at it as as the as the center of a wheel and the spokes being like Word, PowerPoint, Access, Excel, stuff like that. I kind of look at it as being as being the the center the uh, the center point uh, in a wheel of information. Okay, but somehow you were able to like insert code to customize your, you know, SharePoint experience. Yes, that's affirmative. And and that's how and that's essentially how I got started because you know, it was a confidence builder for me. I was thinking, well, you know, if I can if I know these codes, how hard would it be to develop a mobile app? And then at that point, I went out and bought a bunch of uh Big Nerd Ranch books. Have you ever heard of those? Yeah. I, I've never <laughs> used them or read them, but I've heard of them. They're very popular and highly recommended. And they are good. I mean, they're they're very down to earth. They break everything down. You know, they're like, initialize this, you know, make this a function. And uh, I learned a lot from them. And that kind of even gave me more confidence to, to try to tackle the App Store. Okay, so you're your boss comes in and is like, make this gray. And you're like, I don't know if I can do that. And how does that lead to you thinking that you can write code? Like, what did you, you just Googled, like, how do I change something in SharePoint? And it was just like, oh, you can, you can do yeah. some code or. Yeah, exactly. So what they do, what they do in SharePoint is if you use a content editor and you throw it all the way down to the bottom of your page and you hide it from visible view, you can actually throw as much code in there as you want and it, it will react to it. And um, so at that point, I was thinking to myself, like, like, okay, yeah, you know, now I've got the confidence to move forward. Let's see what else I can do with this. And that's why I went and I downloaded 
I just downloaded a free copy of Xcode and started playing around with it after that. So when you were trying to customize the SharePoint thing, you realized you could do it with code. What was your initial thought? Like, were you thinking, oh, well, let me just do it? Or were you like, wait, I've never done this before. Like, am I, am I going to break something? Like, can I do this? Am I allowed to do this? Like, what, what was... Because, I mean, it's easy to just say, yeah, I did it. But, like, there was... You had to have been going through something in that moment. Like, I was excited. Know, to me, okay. I was, I was completely elated. I thought to myself, like... Like, wow, this is it like this, you know, this, you know, this feels good because, you know, people are coming to me with an issue or a problem and I'm not only facilitating, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm exceeding their expectations. And we were actually able to get it down to where an individual will hit a button and they'll send a report to their supervisor about that, about that station and about those, uh, about the characteristics of their boats, whether the boats were up or down or whatnot. And for me, it just seemed like such of a way forward that I kind of knew that I found my niche and I wanted to explore that even more. And, uh, and, and, you know, I think I may have mentioned it in the email, but I'm a huge Apple fan. I'm a big Apple fan boy. And me for me, yeah. And for me, it was like, I got to get into iOS programming. I got to do this. This is my, you know, this is, I think this might be my calling. And I know how uh, corny that sounds, but it, uh, it, it's, it's cool to, to make a button do something uh, with a little line of code. Like I, I, like I know that sounds corny, but, but man, it's, it's amazing. And then you're able to make somebody's life easier because you had a thought that you could put in the play. You know? no, I, I think that's definitely one of the reasons that uh, a lot of people like it. I mean, it's exciting and they, a lot of people want to do it too because of that sort of, I don't know, power. And as you said, creating something from nothing and like and just creating something and immediately, immediately being able to like see the results. Like there's a lot of, what, what would you say it is? Like if you had to say like one thing, what, what was it? Like once you realized, so for me it was like, I was, it felt good like I, when I was doing it, but once I actually was like, okay, no, actually, this is really what I want to do. It was like just this feeling that I had, like I just loved it, right? So uh, yeah. for you, was it kind of immediate or did it sort of, because it took a little while for me to let myself think that I could be a developer. No, like it was it, it was immediate. And I think it was like that eureka moment, like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to make this happen. And what's nice about it is, is that, you know, even with me being in the Coast Guard, it can be a part-time gig and I can learn it while I still have employment. Um, I've got that kind of safety net. And I thought to myself, now's the perfect time. If I don't do it now, there's no reason for me to wait five years from now. I need to throw myself headfirst into this and make it work. And that's why... Even though, you know, I've been doing this for about a year, a year and a couple months, I went online to Udemy and I downloaded a course for iOS 10 and Swift 3 development because I wanted to make sure that I was using the proper nomenclature. Right. I didn't want to, you know, to recognize a piece of code or a view controller or something as something to me but completely different to the industry i wanted to make sure i was on the same page right 
Okay, so it sounds like about a year ago, you you were doing a little more than a year ago. You, so you were finishing up this project, or you were doing this project where you're doing like JavaScript kind of. But at some point, mm-hmm. you were like, "I want to do this for iOS." Like, how how did you make the connection? How were you thinking? Like, oh wait, I'm doing programming essentially for the web. Like, I can do this for. How did you know that you could also do this for the iPhone? Like, how did you find out that this was a possibility? That you could do well, development, I, like make apps. Well, I was actually watching the keynote. Uh, I think it was whenever they released Swift. I watched that keynote, and uh, he they were talking about like, oh, if you want to do this, look at all this code, and then look at what you can do with Swift. And then they took out a whole bunch of code from the line item. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, that's amazing. And being that it's open source. You know, being that it was free to download, I I thought to myself that, you know, all the ducks are in a row, you got to take the plunge. And that's whenever I first started uh, getting into it. And then I really didn't dive into it till about a year ago, nine months to a year ago. I think that I'm probably very similar. Like I would love watching the keynotes um, at WWDC or the, you know, the product releases. And so for sure, I, I think that because those were available, because I was at, you know into Apple, and then I was just watching those these videos, the keynotes, like I was made aware that it was possible. But I don't know. I, I'm trying to think of like I just had this realization, like oh, I want to make an app too, and then like how do I do that? Um, and I just went kind of searching on Apple's website um, before before Swift, um, and even before kind of like Swift playgrounds. Uh, finding out about becoming an Apple developer was actually not that not. I wouldn't say it was hard, but like they didn't really advertise it. And you know, you had to be a member of the developer program to do all these things, but now it's like very advertised. If you go to the Apple's website, they might have like one of the first links is like something related to maybe Swift Playgrounds or something like that. So I, I think that that's really good that they're doing, doing that, like making it more um, kind of advertising it to make it easier for people to learn about becoming an Apple developer. Okay. so. It's about a year ago, Swift come, um, well, I guess you were watching, it was two years ago, Swift comes out, but about mm-hmm. a year ago, you decided like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like actually go for it. I'm gonna try to start learning this stuff. What did yeah. you, how did, you said you picked up the Big Nerd Ranch books. Like, how did you decide to pick, pick up the books? Like, how did you, you know, how did you evaluate what was the best course of action for you to start learning? Well, I, <clears throat> I did some research on the web, uh, on the web, and uh, and I thought, oh, big nerd ranch, like you know, that's that's kind of that's kind of weird, you know. What, what <laughs> do these guys have to offer? And then if you go up and you look up their books online or even through Amazon, like they get nothing but like five stars, four and a half, five stars. These books are great. They break down the code, and uh, I thought to myself, um, most definitely, I, I definitely got to pick one up. So I picked up both of them. I picked up uh, the one programming guide for Swift programming and then the iOS programming. Okay. And, uh, and I went through both of them. I tabbed them out. I did all the exercises. And, um, and then I came to the realization that I'm really not a book learner. <laughs> mm, right. So that's where Udemy came in. And having somebody there talking to me, like, okay, man, you know, this is how you're going to do a stack view, a horizontal stack view or a vertical stack view. 
that kind of rings a little bit more to my style of learning. So what I did at that point was uh, I went ahead and I primarily use my books for references. Like if I'm really having trouble and then I, I uh, use my Udemy for my primary, uh, primary uh, reference. Yeah, I think that's a great idea, having a book as a reference. Um, I'm, I think I'm a similar style where it's hard for me to kind of read a book and learn, um, unless it's like a tutorial kind of book, which I, th uh, I think maybe Bigner Ranch does a little bit of that, but um, like where I'm actually building something. Since, since we're on the topic um, and we're kind of at the halfway point, I just want to do a quick shout out to um, Bobby Hendricks. He emailed me recently and he asked, he asked me to ask uh, you guys a question. Um, so we're on the topic and he wants to know um, what's the best way for someone with no previous experience to learn to become a Swift iOS coder? Uh, I have no uh, previous experience, but I'm interested in learning and just want to hear what the guests have to say on the topic. So we're kind of on that. Uh, what would you say? Someone with no uh, prior programming experience, like the best way to, to uh, learn to be an iOS developer. I think the first thing you have to do is go to Apple's website and download the actual Swift 3 programming guide, which is free. And it's a free resource. And you got to invest a little bit of time in it and, you know, go over it and uh, look at it. Make sure you know what your lets and your vars are. <laughs> and then once you do that, I say that, you know, take a course on Udemy buy another manual, see how that manual matches up with what Apple's saying, and um, buy a good course on Udemy because the the courses that are on there, the ones that get rated really, really high, um, they're worth it. I mean, they, you know, I, I really believe they're worth it. I mean, for you, I previously bought the DevSlopes one for, oh, cool. for iOS 10 and Swift 3. Yeah, I, I and, met the Dev Slopes guys. Uh, in oh, you did? Cool. Yeah, yeah. They were in this event in um, Venice. I met them. Uh, it was cool. Wow, they're yeah, pretty but... cool. But their their Swift three program has like two hundred and fifty seven lectures and over fifty seven hours of of programming guidance. Like you, wow. you're really going to know Swift by the time you're done. And uh, that's what kind of sold me on it. And I'm, I'm working my way through it. Like I said, to get the nomenclature, get the, you know, get the, uh, the muscle memory down. And I'm about 25% through the course right now. Okay. So is there anything else like in terms of just like kind of getting started? Because I think that's a really tough, tough sort of things. How do you sort of just get started? I think the only blockage is going to be you. Um, <clears throat> it's going to come down to time. And it's going to come down to money because, um, you know, it's the books aren't cheap. You know, uh, the big nerd ranch books go for 50 bucks. Even if you want to download them, I think they're 40. And then um, the uh, Apple developer license is 100 bucks annually. And my goal whenever I set out to do this was if I can put myself into a position to make back my 100 bucks, I would consider it a success and I would nice. continue to do it. And, uh, and I actually have, um, I'm closing in on about $200 worth of sales. Oh, right. Yeah. Awesome. Congratulations. Well, thank you. So we, I thought it was free now to join the Apple developer or is it like free to sign up? But then if you actually want to like yeah, ship something you have to pay or yeah, it's, it's one of those catch 22s. 
if you okay. want to sign up, you can sign up and you can have, you know, uh, Xcode and whatnot and be able to download it and preview apps and do whatever you need to do. But to actually sell, you need that developer's license. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I've been taking a look at that in a while. Okay, so I will say this, though. There are some free materials out there. So if, you know, you are price sensitive and stuff, there are things that where you can, you know, you not have to pay. So like iTunes U, the start developing iOS 9 apps today, the Stanford course. So that's a free one. And if you haven't checked it out, you might benefit from that, uh, Nicholas. Um, and then, you know, all of just Apple's, um, they're having, you know, more and more resources. Um, you know, Apple's coming out with more and more resources every day. So Apple's website. Um, and there's lots of, you know, free tutorials. Uh, I know Ray Wenderlich has a lot of free tutorials. Um, okay. Yeah, so gonna... I, I would uh, I would recommend that if you have an iPad, Swift Playground should be on anybody's iPad because even it just gets you familiar with the course material. And it's great. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, really cool app. Okay, so you mentioned something about time management, I think, or, you know, kind of setting aside the time. And uh, I agree, that's a really important thing to consider when you're just starting out. Uh, what did you what did you do? So you decide, okay, I'm going to go for this. I really like it. I want to start learning iOS development. You bought all the books, you're ready to go. Um, but you have a, I assume a full time job how did you do your time management? Um, like, did you just kind of do it randomly? Did you set aside time? Um, and, you know, are, if, are, if you're a family man or if you kind of have other people in your life or whatever, other things in your life, you play baseball, whatever, how did you kind of manage all that? Well, uh, what I did was, you know, I went and I spoke with my wife, <laughs> you know, because she's, she's the person in charge. And I yeah. told her, I said, look, you know, I, I think I really have a passion for this and, uh, you know, I really want to do it. I want to give it a shot. And she was like, cool. And I told her, I said, you know, if I'm sitting on the computer, there may be times whenever, you know, I, I, I may be engaged in something and won't be able to grab the baby or do this or do that right away. But just, uh, just give me a nudge and tell me that I'm getting lost, <laughs> you know, lost in the swift or whatnot. And uh, she's been pretty good at that. She keeps me in check. But um, but uh, every so often I'll find myself, you know, hitting one too many keystrokes, you know. <laughs> so what did she say when you initially told her, hey, I found, I think I found my passion. I want to do this. Like, what did she say? She was supportive. She said, she said to go for it. And, um, you know, honestly, she was like, how much is this going to cost? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then after that it was, yeah, sure. Do whatever you want to do. I don't care. And, um, and, uh, we did it. Uh, well I did it. I think that uh, a lot of people out there might be in a similar situation. I know one of my, um, meetup members, he's actually going to be leading, uh, the meetup next week. Um, you know, he comes from like a music background, like a music composer and, uh, he, you know, he and his wife, they just had a baby and, and he's going through a career transition. And so like that, that's a serious conversation that you have to have with your family. What do you, what do you say? Like, how do you make that? How do you open that conversation? Um, and, um, you know, kind of plead your case, I guess. Well, I, I think, I think what you have to do is first off, you and your spouse have to have a, a definitely an open flow of communication. Me and my wife are, are very good at communicating our, our needs and our wants. And, um, and uh, I, I think that 
I think it's uh, it's very important to have that open open door conversation uh, with your spouse and say, look, this is something that I want to do, and uh, and then just to show them, you know, build something, you know, run the Hello World app and change the background and make it a button and have some confetti pop up or whatever. <laughs> And then at that point, just show them, hey, I'm serious about this and I want to move forward with this process. And and if that if that if your spouse loves you half as much as you love Swift, you shouldn't have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think this is also applicable to not just spouses, but anyone else that sort of is really important in your life. So for me, it was like my fiance and my uh, my parents. Um, Yeah. You know, I told them like, hey, I'm I'm quitting law. And I'm going to, you know, go after this and I need you to trust me. Um, and, you know, I, I told them like this, I'm setting up six months. I'm giving myself six months and like, and they're like, okay, that's good. You're like giving yourself a time limit. So, yeah, I think that's really important. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people are kind of in that situation. So good luck. Um, but I think if you're going after your dream or your passion, like no one can fault you for that. Okay. So what did you do with your time management then? Did you say like, I'm going to set aside like every Wednesday after work or, you know, after work or before work, or how did you do your time management for learning? So what I would do was, uh, so we work, uh, we work 12 hour shifts. We'll work either from six o'clock at night to six o'clock in the morning or six o'clock in the morning at six o'clock at night. And, uh, at night, you know, it gets kind of slow and, you know, it's like a cardinal sin, you know, you, you have to stay awake, you know, that's non-option. And, uh, so I figured, you know, I'll read, you know, I'll read my book while I'm there, keep my brain working, keep my brain going. And, and I did a little bit of that. And, uh, uh, while also staying current on my Coast Guard responsibilities Hmm. and also, uh, before I would go to work for mid-watches, my wife would usually take the kids for a walk or go over to the go over to the park because we live relatively close to a park, and um, and she'd go over there for two hours. and And I think I think what it comes down to is you have to make a conscious effort. You can sit on that couch and watch the latest episode of The Walking Dead, and nobody's going to think any different of you. But you have to catch yourself in that moment and say, "Hey, look." I got to get up and I got to find out what polymorphism is. You know, I've got to, I've got to make sure I've got that down. You what know, is I've got polymorphism. Gotta, well, it's, um, I just learned it the other day. Essentially it's whenever you want to make something, uh, you want to make, uh, you want to make it the same throughout. You want to make a certain equation, the same, uh, kind of operate the same function throughout the entire uh, program that you're creating. So instead of you writing, so instead of you let writing loads and loads of code over and over again, the, you can actually simplify it and uh, use a function in order to represent that. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So if you want to learn something like that, what do you got to do instead of watching Walking Dead? <laughs> exactly. You get up, you go over to the computer and, you know, YouTube's even a great resource. I mean, it, just type anything in the YouTube, getting started with Swift, uh, you know, um, how do I make, uh, how do I dismiss a view controller? And you're going to find what you need. Uh, and you're going to find out how to implement that. And it's, you know, people, people are there to help. When you were just starting out, uh, do you remember what was the most difficult thing, uh, in your learning? 
Yes, I was thinking about this. Uh, constraints. Oh, like a, for with uh, interface builder. Yes. Oh man, <laughs> I hate yeah, constraints. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, um, you know, and, and this is one of the things I can't get. I I understand the reasoning behind it, but I still don't understand why they just can't have one universal template, and then if you put a button somewhere, it stays there. But um, and maybe that's just showing how much of a beginner I am. But um, but it was constraints. And again, the Udemy course helped me understand understand the background of constraints and how they apply to different orientations, different screen size, stuff like that. And um, and that's what was great about it. And uh, so I'm kind of over my constraint hump, but that's definitely the hardest part of it. In fact, one of my apps got rejected because I didn't have proper constraints for an iPad configuration. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely uh, agree with that. Um, even though it, it's uh, like a GUI interface and you're, you know, using storyboards and interface builder, um, constraints were, um, you know, are kind of difficult to grasp at first. And I think that it might be because interface builder, actually kind of abstracts or hides what's really going on with a constraint. Um, it's an actual yeah. con equation. And so if you go visit uh, the auto layout guide, I'll link to it in the, in the show notes, um, and read a little bit about constraints and understand the equation that's actually happening under the hood. Um, when you're using constraints in storyboard, I think it'll make more sense. But um, at the same time, there's stack view. I haven't used it that much, but um, you know, I think that probably makes it a lot easier. Although I know they're kind of weird to work with sometimes. But another thing you might also try is working with constraints programmatically, um, because that will allow you to understand what's really going on under the hood, uh, and, and maybe it'll start you know making more sense and become a little easier when you do it in uh, Interface Builder. Yeah, I think you brought up a, a great point there as far as. Uh doing it pro, uh, programmatically and you can do that with anything and it's going to take you a little bit longer but you're going to understand that whenever you push that button what you're actually telling swift or xcode to do so let's say uh, you were struggling with something maybe it was constraints or something else maybe uh, in code or as you were learning maybe you were you know uh, just starting out or you were well into your learning do you remember you were struggling with something but then you, or you just kind of had this eureka moment where it started to just sort of kick in and, and make more sense. Do you remember kind of like when that was, like how far into your learning? Uh, for me, I feel like it was maybe six months. Yeah, I think, I think you got to give it about, you got to give it about six, six to nine months. If you, if you think you're going to, you know, read the book and wake up within a week or two and it's going to click and it might click for you, you might be able to, to do that. Uh, but I, I would have to say the average person, it's going to take them anywhere from six, six to nine months. I, you know, and, and I kind of go back to my time in the Coast Guard because that's what I have to base my knowledge off of. And like I said, as you move around uh, in the Coast Guard, it's going to take you six months to a year to get adjusted to the new place where you're stationed. Because you have to learn the area, you got to learn uh, their local policies and procedures. So whenever you apply that to Swift, 
the biggest thing I can say to people is don't be frustrated if it's still, um, you know, six months and you really haven't gotten it down. Give yourself that six to nine month window in order to fully, fully grasp it. And then you might find out it's not for you or you might find out it's for you. What would you say are the most important things to focus on um, as you're, you know, just sort of learning? Um, like, what did you focus on? Were you just trying to sort of build your app idea, and so you kind of just learned whatever you needed to, or what would you say it's really important to focus on? Because there's so much to to learn, right? Exactly. I I think the biggest thing is you have to have an idea. You know, you have to have something that draws you to Swift. I mean, it, it's it's okay to to go and read the books and say, okay, yeah, I want to learn Swift, uh, but there has to be a reason behind it. And for me, and this is this is one of the my my app that I designed. It's called uh, Commanding Echoes. Okay. And essentially, what I wanted to do was, I wanted to find a way for. I wanted to find a way. I wanted to find a way for, for people to use the Amazon Echo because I felt that the Echoes, the Echoes app was very cumbersome, and I still believe it is to some extent. So I wanted to find a way for every command that the Amazon Echo could spit out and reply back to you, and I wanted to find all of the skills that were created, and I wanted, I wanted to give people the ability to manage their own list of favorite skills and favorite commands but okay I knew so real quick a a amazon echo so it's this little it's like a speaker kind of and yes. there's you can't really just talk to it i guess and just say anything there's like specific commands that you have to well, well, almost you, like a, 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 a keyboard almost right it's like, it's amazon's version of surrey so you can okay. speak you can speak to it and it'll it'll tell you what the weather in China is or Hong Kong or whatnot. And and that's and, and that's fine. But if you don't know to ask that, you're never going to ask that. Okay. So right. so what I wanted to do was create this reference app, kind of give people a gateway in order to to um, see what's out there. And um so I created it and I took it a step further because I used voice, um, the voice utterances for Surrey in order to create a, um, in order to create essentially, essentially have the ability for people to press a series of buttons and then have the echo respond back to it. Wait, so, so like would, so you're interacting with your app and are mm -hmm. you saying, like, okay, say this command, and then Siri actually says the command, and then the, the Echo picks it up? Yep, that's affirmative. So the reason why I developed this is because, you know, it's great to have this connected home, right? I can say, hey, turn on my lights, lock my door, whatever. But what about the people who can't enunciate properly? What about people who may have severe autism? What about those, those people? they're going to want to be inside of the smart home just as much as anybody else. So I figured that this would be a great way for people who couldn't enunciate or maybe have a speech impediment to, to get into the smart home uh, uh, environment. So that's why I created it. And essentially, Commanding Echoes, 
you type in a command or you type in a phrase and you hit play command and it will play whatever you put into that 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 uh, text box, that text field. So now it gives those people the ability to actually uh, use smart home devices. That's really cool. Um, and I think uh, that's something like Apple would really like because they're very big on accessibility and uh, they put that front and center. Um, okay, so the commands, where are you getting these from? Is there like a database or you're hard, you kind of just, you created a database? Like where are all these commands coming from? So, so <clears throat> this is kind of interesting. So if you go on to like sites like Reddit or different forums, there will be like lists of commands that people have, that people have gathered up. But if you're not a big Reddit fan or you don't know about the Amazon Echo forums, you're not going to be able to find this material. And I wanted to have a centrally located place where people could do that. And, um, and so that's why I, I went ahead, I scoured the internet, and I think I'm up to like 600 commands that you can actually scroll through. You can save the command to your favorites list. You could even email a person a command because because whenever you click the button i have it bring up the ui activity control center right. and you could do you could do whatever you want with it and then once you save it in the in the player you trans you transfer it to the player and then you can you can just press the button and go from there and the interesting thing is is that i've pre-programmed sets of uh like pre-formatted stuff like where's my packages uh, pair Bluetooth, play, pause, stop. So you don't have to do that every single time. On the play command center screen, there's about 10 uh, options of what I call quick tap commands. And uh, as you press them, the echo will respond. Uh, so I'm surprised that Amazon doesn't already have a database of all these commands. Like, what's going on there? I, mean, I, have, I have no idea. I think... You know, my personal opinion is I think they launched it and then they were surprised at how big it exploded. Okay. And and that was and that was the whole thing, but now they're kind of behind the I think they're kind of behind the eight ball with like with like reference material on it. Because like uh, a lot of people put out third party skills. And for me, I, I have two skills that are part of the Amazon Echo. I've got one for Coast Guard facts and one for one-liners. And, um, and you can build them, and they're easy to build. You can go on there. But to actually find a complete list of them, you have to like scour the Internet to find a complete list of them. And the way the app is set up, if you don't know what you're looking for, then you're never going to find what you're looking for. And I think that, I think that there's, there's a lot to be said for just a simple list of skills or commands that you can actually email to somebody or you can reference on your own. I think, that, I think that's still needed in society. I mean, algorithms and all this other stuff and typing in a word, that's great, but I still think that there's something to be said for just a generic list of this is what this machine can do. Wait, so did you say that you've actually uh, made some some skills? You created some skills? Yeah, I did. I created two. I created uh, one for Coast Guard facts. So if you say the magic word and, and say open Coast Guard facts, she'll actually respond and say, here's your fact, and then read off a question or read off a statement like, uh, you know, 
Coast Guard was in was established in 1790, and uh, and the other one is just a bunch of funny one-liners. Like, uh, I took an IQ test, but the results came back negative. You know. <laughs> Wait, so <laughs> funny with stuff. these skills, do you just have to know the command? You don't have to like download and install the skill. Well, what happens is whenever you go into the app, you just activate it. And then, okay. and okay. then through some sort of like cloud, uh, based system, it just, it's just essentially activated on your echo. And then that way you're, you're all set up. Okay. So let's talk a little bit uh, specifically about commanding echoes. So like, you know, how did you build it and things like that? So did you use uh, storyboards and interface builder? I did. I used a, uh, a tabbed view, uh, a, a tab bar view. controller. Yeah, tab bar controller down at the bottom, and it has you know five tabs. It's got the the play command center where it'll actually play your commands, a resources page uh, where you can connect with other people who are Echo lovers and whatnot, and then uh, your list, a master command list, and then a master skills list. And the skills and list can be emailed because it's like a PDF file. And the master list, is it dynamic? Um, like that changes over time because you keep adding to it. And so yes. then the user just downloads the new list every time they launch the app or? Yeah, I, what I do is I do quarterly updates. So I've, I've pushed out an update here and then I'll push out another update probably around Christmas time. And it'll just have like an updated, an actual updated list based on, so the, based so on the what's app, available. The app updates ship like with the new master list. Yes. Okay, so the, the application isn't actually downloading the master list like uh, any time the app launches. Like it just has the master list like, um, you know, stored locally on the device. That's correct. It's uh, essentially I, uh, I threw it all in an array and then had the array um, uh, do a count and then do the count by uh, alphabetizing it. And then that's, yeah. that's essentially it. And then how are you storing it locally on the device? Are you using NS user defaults or are you using something like core data or something? Yeah, I'm using NS, NS user defaults. Okay, and cool. actually, and now here's an interesting thing too. The NS, hopefully I say this right, NS ambiguity key results, I believe. I don't know that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So it's one megabyte of like cloud data that can be stored over all your devices. So this is how like several apps, like let's say you have like the Netflix app on your, your iPad, your Apple TV, your, your iPhone. This is how they sync your settings through all those apps. And it's one megabyte oh. of data. So what I did was I switched out NS user defaults on your custom list. And I used the ambiguity key results, I believe it's called. And now the individual, if they go to their iPad and they have commanding echoes, the list that's on their iPad is automatically synced to their iPhone and automatically synced to their whatever. Interesting. Okay. So if I wanted to, if someone wanted to learn how to do that too, they should just look up the NS ambiguity key or something like that you said? Yes, NS ambiguity key results, I believe, is the is the name of the uh, is the name of the storage. But yeah, okay. that's that's how it works. And I figured, you know, a list is going to be less than one megabyte, so it it would work. It worked out perfect for me. 
Was there anything really hard or interesting that you remember while you were, like, how long did it take you to make Commanding Echoes? Like, to go from idea, start coding, to shipping it, like, shipping the first version? Well, the first version was actually built with, uh, was actually built with Core Data, and that took a while, and I used the tutorial for that. But then I decided to go with the NS user defaults, and I kind of reworked the entire app for the second version. Nice. And uh, it took, I want to say, three three months. Wow. Because you got to make sure you really have a good, you know, have a good product. And there's some bugs in there. I mean, if you if you hit a certain thing, it may crash or this may happen. And uh, I'm squashing those bugs whenever I find them. But All right. um, but you know, it, it took roughly three months to get it from production to uh, purchase. Awesome. That's great. Congratulations. Thanks. Any uh, any interesting uh, stories uh, from like the experience of the, the three months? Like anything that was really challenging, or something that was really interesting, or uh, some you know type of you know where you got really excited because you achieved this, you know, you did a type of code, and you were just like, yeah, that was cool, or yeah, whenever like I found, or, or, whenever I found out about those uh, ambiguity key results or key yeah key results where it would sync over the cloud, I thought to myself like, wow, that's it because my buddy had an Amazon Echo at work and he downloaded it, he bought it. And he's like, and, and I love whenever people do this. I call this like, in the Coast Guard, we call it drive-by tasking. <laughs> okay. And he looks at me He looks at me, and he says, hey, you know what would be great? Is if uh, it just synced up through all your devices and your your list was on all your devices. It's whenever somebody, you know, just drive, it comes right by you and it's like, hey, man, you know, it'd be nice is if you could do this. <laughs> Nice. And uh, so I went home and I'm like, I'm like, oh man, how can I do this? And I mean, I was racking my brain with, with iCloud, my cloud storage and all this other stuff and, you know, trying to, trying to make containers and whatnot. And then finally I looked online and it was like, you have one megabyte of free storage and you could do it this way. And, and I, I literally took out NS user defaults threw this in there and it worked. All right, cool. So, is that what you're working on mostly now, um, or are you? Do you have a new project? Like, I, I assume you're still sort of dedicating some time to to learning um, and, and pushing your, you know, your experience and skills forward. Like, how are you spending that time? What are you working on? Well, what I'm working on right now is, um, and for anybody who's an iOS developer, the the easiest thing in the world, I would say that that there is to actually make is sticker packs. I oh, mean, that's right. Yeah, you made like three or something, right? I, yeah, yeah, I made like, I made four of them. And I wanted to find a way for people to like send secret messages to to each other. And um, the easiest way for me was I was thinking, okay, well, what's some, what's some outdated communication stuff? Like Morse code <laughs> and semaphore yeah, yeah. and like flags. And, and I even developed a sign language one, which is really cool. But... The whole purpose of that was to just see how easy it would be to create sticker packs. And it's so easy. If you have a developer account, create a sticker pack because the only thing you have to do is drop, is actually drop the pictures that you want to make into a folder and make sure they're formatted to the right resolution. And that's it. So how, how did you make your stickers? Like with Photoshop or something? Or? 
Yeah, I made them with I made them with Photoshop, and what I did was I actually I went on to a site called Snapstock, I believe, and they will sell you uh, photos for for usage and uh, for commercial use. So I went ahead and I did that, and I downloaded you know the alphabet and sign language and you know nautical flags and whatnot, and I actually you know, reconfigured them, re-resed them, and then went ahead and threw them in the, uh, in the sticker pack. So it really is just super easy. I mean, I saw the, the iMessage stickers key, um, developer session and they, they were like, yeah, you just drag and drop them and then you ship it to the app store. But it really is just that easy. It really is just that easy. I mean, I, <laughs> I was, trust me, I was, I thought the computer was going to blow up or something, but it didn't. <laughs> it was just that easy. You just drop them right into a folder and upload them to your i iStore account, and you're good to go. I heard people are like actually making some decent money um, on the sticker packs. Like they're really popular, so it's kind of cool. Yeah, they are. Um, you know, it all depends on what you're looking for. Again, you know, um, what you're looking for. Chances are somebody's got a sticker pack out there. All right, so we've come to the end of, uh, of the episode, but I want to talk about uh, just a couple things. Uh, so first is, um, are you online at all? If people want to follow up with you, are they able to contact you either for, through email or online, anything like that? Yeah, I think the best way to contact me would be on LinkedIn. If you search uh, Nicholas Saka, uh, I'm on LinkedIn. You could send me a connection and and I will, I'll accept it, no problem. And um, I think there's two of me on there from an account that I had like, you know, uh, eight years ago. So just be mindful of that. But uh, the newest one just has a uh, picture of me and my wife and uh, you just click connect and you're good to go. Cool. And then the other is, you know, it's like, it's one piece of advice for people learning Swift, but I think, I think, you know, it's more just like, what would you say to someone who uh, maybe they were in a similar situation as you a year ago or, or two years ago, and they're listening to the podcast now because uh, they're, you know, they're interested in this and they, they want to make a go at it. Um, what would you say to them? They, they want to break into this and start learning. And, and what would you say to them? I would say do it. You have to do it. You have to put yourself out there. If you don't, if you don't try, you'll never do it. And, uh, you know, I always, I always try to think of myself as being like, you know, an old man sitting in a rocking chair. You know, I don't want to throw the shuttle would have could haves out there. I want to make sure that if there's something that I'm interested in, that I throw myself out there uh, head first and see if it's, it's for me. So I suggest anybody go online, hook up the developer account, give it a shot. And, uh, you know, try to make back your hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and what would you say, uh, for, for, you know, when they're learning and it kind of gets a little frustrating and, uh, maybe a little challenging, like, what would you say to, you know, to kind of encourage them to keep going? Like, how do you do that? Well, we do, even in the Coast Guard, we do a lot of this stuff, you know, things will get challenging. You'll get burnt out. Like my job isn't physically, uh, fatiguing. But it is mentally fatiguing to the point to where that my wife will ask me a question whenever I come home and I'm like, I don't care, whatever you want. And uh, 
I think that what you need to do whenever you get to a point like that, you can feel yourself being fried. You need to disengage. You need to take 10 or 15 minutes for yourself, and you need to uh, pull yourself together. And whenever you come back to something, it's gonna be it, you're gonna be able to see it in a whole new light. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Okay, cool, Nicholas. Thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your story with us. Uh, you know, just you were kind of just doing your thing. You were like working at different stores. You said like a stock boy, and you were drawn to the Coast Guard. And you know, you've been working in the Coast Guard for 15 years now. But a couple years ago, you you know, you were like someone asked you to maybe customize something and you just accepted the challenge and you were curious and you figured out how to do it and you realized you enjoyed it and uh, you translated that into like programming and uh, you know iOS apps for your interest you know interest in Apple and making iOS apps and you just went for it and you stuck with it and yeah almost like no fear really you just kind of went for it and 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 you found your passion and I hope that uh, that once you get out of the Coast Guard you're able to continue that and possibly you know work full-time whether it's, it's an independent or you know get a job with a company or and yeah let me know if i can help with that when that time comes um yes and so thank you for coming on thank you for contacting me out of the blue and uh yeah and just coming on and sharing your story thank you so much awesome thank you and have a great day and that's the show ladies and gentlemen i hope you enjoyed listening to the swift coders podcast Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends. Swift Coders.